we are doing our study, the life of Elijah. And we're going to see Elijah, I would say it, it is in his finest, that how the Lord uses him so boldly tonight. I want you, if you would, to turn your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 1. I had the privilege of teaching the college and career Bible study this past Thursday, and this happens to be the chapter we're teaching uh, that I taught on. But, you know, the Lord must really want us to know this stuff, uh, especially the college and career group, because uh, they're getting a lot of repetition on this. But I'm trusting the Lord tonight. I want you to look at 2 Kings chapter 1. We're just going to read the first two verses right now. Then Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. So we've been talking all these months and months about Elijah and Ahab and Jezebel. Well, Ahab has died by this time. Moab, uh, Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab and Ahaziah fell down through, that was his son who became king, fell down through a lattice in the upper chamber that was in Samaria and was sick. And he sent messengers and said unto them, Go inquire of Baal, Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover of this disease. So here's how, right how it starts off. Uh, this man, Ahaziah, uh, if we were to have time to read the end, how First Kings end, the last two verses talk, talks about how he became king. He reigned two years after the death of his father Ahab. Remember the kingdom was split. This would have been Samaria where he was reigning from, not Judah, where Jehoshaphat was king at the time. Um, and he was uh, like father, like son. I hate to say it. He was wicked like his father. He reigned two years. God pronounced the judgment on him. He was not a good king. He provoked the Lord to anger. And in, in the phrase that's used over and over in First and Second Kings is, uh, he did like Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who, who made Israel to sin because he set up Baal and so forth, and he worshiped Baal, and he sought to Baal, and he led the country away from Jehovah into Baal worship. So he's just like his father. You know, it doesn't always have to be that a son's like his father, morally like that. I think one of my favorite kings is Hezekiah, uh, that he was nothing like his father Ahaz, H-A-H-A-Z, Ahaz, who was a very wicked king, and uh, but... Uh, Hezekiah was a wonderful man of God, and so you don't have to be like that, but oftentimes we do see it. I will say this, and probably on Father's Day we'll talk about it more, the influence is, it's amazing the influence that a father and mother have upon their children in every way, and, it, and if we use that for good, it's a blessing, that's what we should do, we're responsible to that. Uh, and for that to the Lord. But anyway, this man was wicked. Moab, just a quick little backstory. When, uh, when Solomon was king of Israel, when it was united before the kingdom was split, uh, he brought Moab under subjection, this other nation under subjection. They paid tribute to Israel. And we, when the kingdom split, when in Solomon's son Rehoboam and then Jeroboam, the, the two kings split, God, it was of the Lord, he allowed it to happen, that uh, Moab went under the authority of Israel, or the Samaritan part of the kingdom, okay? And so here, it, it, these years later, Moab rebels, and they basically gain their, their freedom. They just rebel against Israel, and this king does nothing about it, okay? So he's up there on the upper, it says the upper chamber, so maybe the second floor or even higher, I don't know. 
and he leans on some lattice, okay? Uh, I've, I've used lattice for different things before. It's not something you really want to lean on, okay? And that's, a, that's a, a thought for another day, but a lot of times people put their trust and lean upon things that cannot support them, amen, that will hurt them in the end. We see it all through life. People lean on things, and the only one we can lean on is the one we just sang about, I will build my hope upon you alone. I'll build, it is a firm foundation, and so Christ is that firm foundation. But this man's up there in this upper story of his, of his palace and leans on this lattice work, and he falls. He falls. It goes right through. It doesn't support him. He falls to the ground. It says he's sick, but obviously he was injured from this fall to the point uh, he, he wasn't sure if he was going to make it or not, okay? And so he, he, go, he inquires. Look at this. He, he calls messengers, and he says, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover of this disease. Now, uh, Ekron was a city in, uh, of the Philistines. This kingdom would have, been, they would have been the closest Philistine city to him. So he says, just cross the border, basically, the northeastern part of, of the Philistines' uh, kingdom, and go to this city and inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, if I sh- should recover or not. It was a total uh, rejection of Jehovah. I mean, really, he, he's injured badly, and his first thought is go inquire of Beelzebub. Now, Beelzebub is pretty famous. It's one of the gods of Baal, okay, obviously. But by the, uh, he was actually the lord of the flies or the lord of the dunghill, the lord of disease. This is what he was known for. Uh, not somebody that I would want to put my trust in or a deity that I would want to put my trust in, even though he's, it's a false god and not real. Uh, by the time that Jesus comes around and all these years later, Beelzebub became uh, synonymous for Satan. In other words, the Jews actually used that name for Satan. And they accused Jesus when he, they saw him cast devils out. The Jews said, this, this man, Jesus, is only casting out devils through the power of Beelzebub, uh, the prince of devils. So they were blaspheming the Lord. It was a very serious thing what they were doing uh, in the New Testament there in Jesus' life. So it's a total rejection of the Lord. He sends these messengers and, and says, go, go to Ekron and find out, okay, what's going to happen to me. And so uh, let's keep reading verses 3 and 4. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, the Tishbite, arise and go to meet the messenger of the king of Samaria and say unto him, say unto them, is it not because there is not a God in Israel that you have to go to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron. Now therefore thus saith the Lord, thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. And Elijah, Elijah departed. And so uh, we see Elijah back in action. We don't know how long, maybe years, most Bible scholars say, between the time we last saw him. What's the last time we saw him? We saw him rebuking uh, Ahab, for killing Naboth, the righteous man, to take his vineyard, right? And he just shows up on the scene and ha- says, Hast thou killed and taken possession? You know, he pronounces this judgment on Ahab, um, which is, was fulfilled. And now his son is just as wicked as he is, and the Lord calls him back into service. I'll say this 
and I'll probably say it again before the night's over, the strength that Ahab had, the boldness. You know, the Bible talks about the spirit of Elijah. talks about that in the New Testament. He's going forth in the spirit of Elijah. John the Baptist was like a type of Elijah, okay? He was a throwback, and he was, uh, it was that spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. We know it's, it's not Elijah's spirit per se. It's the Holy Spirit. But Elijah was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elijah had faith. Elijah had boldness and confronted kings, okay? And John the Baptist confronted King uh, Herod or rebuked him and said it's not right for him to have his brother's wife. And he was thrown in prison for that and later beheaded. But the point is they're very similar. That spirit of Elijah is the Holy Spirit, but we see it in these two men with great boldness. And, I, and what I appreciate about both of them is a single-mindedness, a singleness of purpose. John the Baptist had one job, and that was it, and nothing was going to stop him from it. No, nobody was going to stop him. Uh, popular or unpopular, he was going to preach the truth. Same for Elijah. So here's, here's another king he's confronting. He's not afraid. We had that moment of weakness when he, he fled from Jezebel because of her, her death threat. But that's not his norm, and that's not his pattern. And we see the Lord using him again. So he's going. Uh, the Lord says, arise and go basically rebuke and give this prophecy to King Ahaziah. And so when the messengers, so he meets the messengers along the way. They hadn't gotten very far. And Elijah says, you go back and tell your king this, okay? Is, is there no God in Israel and you have to go, you have to go to uh, Ekron to find out from Beelzebub if, if you're going to recover or not? You're not going to recover. You're going to die. And these men must have been uh, stunned enough, startled enough, uh, whatever the word is, because they didn't finish their mission. They didn't go to Ekron. He made such an impression upon them that they turned around and went straight back. They did what Elijah said, and they didn't know who he was. So I want to I read this a, a little bit more. And so he, he turns around. The, the messengers turn around. Let's pick up in verse 5. And when the messengers turned back unto him, he said unto him, Why are you now? The king said, Why are you now? Turn back. And he said unto him, There came, they said unto him, There came a man to meet us, and said, Go, turn again to the king that sent, the, sent you, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Is it not because there is not a God in Israel that thou sendest to inquire Baals above the God of Ekron? Therefore thou shalt not come down from the bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die. And he said unto them, What manner of man was he which came to meet you and told you these words? And they answered him, He was a hairy man. And girt with a girdle of leather. That's also similar to John the Baptist. He didn't dress even. John the Baptist didn't even dress like the people of his day. Okay. He, he, uh, this is very similar. And he said, it is Elijah, Elijah the Tishbite. We don't know that these two had ever met before. I doubt that they had. But he knew enough from his dad, probably. And he knew exactly who this was when, when this rebuke came to him. And the description came to him. He said, that's Elijah, okay? And just one comment real quickly. When it says he was a hairy man, uh, just for interest, you know, again, he might have just been hairy, okay? But uh, also there's a thought, some say that 
he, he was, uh, might have had the vow of a Nazarite upon him where he wasn't, you know, like Samson where he wouldn't shave his hair. That's part of the vow as long as they were under the vow. But either way, uh, the king knew who it was and he immediately wants to get him, basically. He wants to get Elijah. He wants to get him and bring him to me is basically what he says. And there's no... Uh, just like his dad, there's no fear of God. There's no repentance. There's no humility. There's no, Lord, I've sinned. There's nothing. He's just, go get him. Go get him. He probably wants to kill him. Honestly, he probably wants to kill Elijah. And so he sends uh, messengers after him, actually soldiers after him. And is a total, uh, like I said, no fear of God, no respect at all. So the king, look at verse 9, then the king sent unto him a captain of 50 with his 50. So there was one captain and then 50 soldiers, 51 soldiers basically from the king to go get Elijah. And he went up unto him and behold, he sat on the top of a hill and he spake unto him. So he's not hiding. He's not running. He's, he's right there for them to find. And this captain says, uh, Thou man of God, the king hath said, Come down. And Elijah answered and said to the captain of fifty, If I be a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume thee and thy fifty. And there came down fire from heaven and consumed him and the fifty. Okay, so this almost seems just real matter of fact. He's sitting on a hill. They find him and they command him captain commands him to come down and when I first maybe at first reading it's hard to understand what was I guess what was so serious that God would send fire down upon them and the more I studied it the more I looked at different commentaries the the thought is that there was absolutely no respect for the Lord and no respect for the man of God I can't say it enough that God is God, but Elijah was God's man. Okay, Elijah was the prophet that that the Lord had chosen to turn the nation of Israel all through his life from Baal worship back to himself. Okay, to rebuke kings. And there was no respect. This captain obviously had more uh, thought his calling, his commission from his king was greater than Elijah's commission from his God, okay? So it was actually, I don't think Elijah personally felt any kind of sting or disrespect. I think he was zealous for the Lord, okay? That is a good thing. That is a good thing when we don't take everything personally offensive when Jesus says they're going to hate you for my name's sake, right? And when we go out and preach the truth, speak the truth, maybe we're going to go out tomorrow evening and share the gospel and somebody's going to roll their eyes and walk off. Maybe somebody's going to curse at us. Maybe somebody's going to laugh at us. I don't know. But it's not personal. They don't even know us. What it is is an offense to the Lord and our Christ and his gospel. Okay? And so this was a disrespect, if that's the right word, uh, thinking this, this captain thinking that his king is greater than Elijah's king, okay, that his commission and calling as a soldier of the king is far greater and more important than uh, Elijah and his calling and his commission. So the fire comes down from heaven. Don't forget, the Lord sent the fire. Elijah didn't send it, 
He says, if I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven. Well, the Lord had to send fire down from heaven, right? And he did. Consumed him in the 50. So, so what happens? Okay, we don't have to, to read it all. The story is repeated. Ahab, Ahaziah, instead of repenting, getting a little bit of wisdom, some, some type of humility, he just sends another captain and another 50. There's no, no regard for their lives, that's obvious, and no regard for Elijah, and no regard for the God of Elijah, okay? He sends 50 more. This one is more, even more insolent. That's the word that's used. Uh, insolent means like to disrespect, okay? To disrespect. This captain says, uh, Elijah, come down quickly. The king has said, come down quickly. In other words, you get down here right now and get to the palace. So Elijah says the same thing. He's not personally threatening them, and he's not personally um, vindictive. I think it's important to realize that he is not personally trying to settle a score with them. He's not vindictive. He just says, if I'm a, you call me a man of God, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Fire comes down from heaven, consumes him and his 50, okay? And so they send a third captain and his 50, and he sent again a captain, verse 13, of the third 50 with his 50, and the third captain, this one wised up a little bit. I don't know if the king told him anything different, but he feared for his life and the lives of those men, and he had enough sense to approach the man of God in the right way. Okay, and we see this. The third captain went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and besought him and said unto him, O man of God, I pray thee, let my life and the life of these 50 thy servants be precious in thy sight. little different tune, right? little different tune. And so this is how he comes. And, and uh, behold, there came fire. He recounts it and consumed the other two 50s. Let, let my life be precious in your sight. The angel of the Lord said unto Elijah, Go down with him, and be not afraid of him. And he arose and went down with him unto the king. So it's showing the whole time when this is playing out with the fire, and then the fire again, and the soldiers dying. There's no vindictiveness on, on his part. There's no fear of the king. Because when the angel says, Go, go down with them and to the king, he just stands up and walks with them. It's, it's very important that... He stands in the presence of Jehovah, and as long as he lives and stands in the presence of Jehovah, he doesn't have to fear any man. He doesn't have to fear the king. He just saw how his God sent fire, you know, and, and consumed these soldiers. And so it actually, uh, it actually reminds us of Jesus in the sense that Jesus all through his life, he was blasphemed. He was insulted. They wanted to take up stones and stone him on more than one occasion. And he would just like pass through. He, he wasn't running in fear from them. Nor did he call down fire and consume them all. He didn't come to destroy men's life. He came on his first coming. He came to save men's lives, right? He was going to the cross. And so we see a lot of that with the, the same thing with Jesus. He never tried to vindicate himself. Oh, you just blaspheme me. I'll get you. You know what I mean? Watch what's going to happen. I'm going to send a lightning bolt to get you. He never did anything like that. He, he committed himself being reviled. He reviled not again, right? 
but committed himself to him who judges righteously. And the Bible says that's in 1 Peter 2. He left that as an example for us that we should follow in his steps. I think that is important. You don't see the men of God and the women of God, the ones that are truly being used by the Lord and standing in his presence. You don't see them out for personal gain or vengeance or they disrespected me. Boom, I'll show them who's a prophet. Jesus didn't even do that. He didn't. When he was in the garden praying the night he was going to be arrested and die the next day for our sins, sweating drops of blood, not my will, but thy will be done, was his prayer. And the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, and with Jesus, with Judas leading the way to betray him. And they, he says, who do you seek? And they said, we seek Jesus. They didn't recognize him, know who he was. He says, I am he. What happened? They all fell back flat on the ground, but he didn't just destroy him. I think he was just giving them a little sample, okay, of his power. But then he just willingly goes with him, with them, like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. This is actually a much greater strength than getting in a big tirade and trying to wield some kind of power in our own will. It wasn't God's will for Elijah to go down with the first captain. It wasn't his, li his will for him to go down with the second captain. It was his will when this third one humbled himself before the Lord, really, acknowledging that Elijah was God's man, that he's the angel of the Lord says, don't be afraid, go with them. I don't know, it's just a, a wonderful thing that we see in a trait. Jesus was under a higher law, I guess you would say at his first coming. There's a higher law. Uh, and he was under the law of his father. And at his first coming, okay, he was under the law of sacrifice, to become obedient unto death, self-sacrificing, laying down his life. So none of that other stuff, fire from heaven, that didn't play into this. He came as the lamb, right? And that, that was a covenant from Genesis, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, okay? And he was under that higher law. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 3, speaking about Jesus at his first coming, that he endured the contradiction of sinners against himself. He endured it. He allowed it. And so if we're going to serve the Lord, all of us, that's something we, we, we have to have thick skin, so to speak. We can't be thin-skinned and be personally offended by everything that it would offend us. We have to understand it's, it's because of our stand with and for the Lord. If we are offended, let it be for the Lord and for his sake. Let it be a holy zeal that Elijah had. Elijah was concerned about the name of Jehovah. Jesus was concerned about doing the will of his father. That's it. Not his own personal will, although they were the same, their, their wills were the same. But that meekness, I say it all the time, is not a weakness. That meekness is actually great strength, especially under provocation when you're being provoked. And you almost feel like I have the right to do this. I can rise up. I have the right to defend myself. And here we see uh, this meekness on the Lord's part and on Elijah's part. He just goes with them. So what is he doing? He's basically walking into the lion's den, right? But he's not afraid. The angel of the Lord said, don't be afraid. He's going right to the one who wants to kill him. He's willingly going. He's walking through town with them. He's going into the palace right up to, to confront the king uh, face to face. And so 
anyway, we, we, he's not afraid because he stands in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Now, when he goes to, to speak to the king, you think there might be a, been a temptation. You know, we know better because it's Elijah, but there might have been a temptation to soften the judgment, soften the words a little bit, maybe spin it a little different towards the king. But when he gets before him, uh, he did he said exactly the same thing in verse 16. And he said unto them, to him, he's directly speaking to the king, thus saith the Lord, forasmuch as thou hast sent messengers to inquire Baal's above the God of Ekron, is it not because there is no God in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but thou shalt surely die. So he died according to the word of the Lord, which Elijah had spoken. Okay, and Jer Jehoram, his son, began to reign. And uh, anyway, there's a, there's a couple of points I want to make from this just in, in closing. And that is this, that we see Elijah rebuking sin. We see him rebuking sinners because of their sin publicly. People that don't know God but should know God. People that don't fear God but should fear God. And there is a great, I believe, uh, lacking in, in our day and in modern Christianity of preaching against sin. And if men are going to appreciate the grace of God, and if men are going to appreciate the mercy of God, then they need to know the enormity of their sin against this holy God. I'm not saying that's the only thing that a preacher should preach or a witness should witness to somebody or a teacher should teach. I'm not saying that. I know that there's a balance. Paul preached the whole counsel of God, right? He says, I haven't shunned to, to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. I've preached the whole thing to you. But that is a part that's missing. Let me ask you something. If you're lost, just try to put yourself in the position of a lost person. Just live in life. Okay, going through life and you don't know that you're standing on the outside. We don't you don't know that by nature you're a child of wrath and God's wrath abides on you. And presently you stand at, at enmity with God. Friendship with the world is enmity with the God with God. And you don't know that the wages of sin is death. You might have heard that before, but you don't it hasn't been a revelation to you. If you come along saying, let me tell you about grace, it's not going to mean a whole lot to a person who's just going through life and taking the good with the bad and going through life, living life. People need to see. I need to see. But people, lost people need to be aware of their sinfulness and the enormity of their sin. Then when you come along and bring Jesus to them, meek and lowly, and say, come unto me. And take my yoke and learn of me. And you bring Jesus unto them and say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever. Then they, they have something to be uh, grab hold on. To lay hold on the mercy of God. To lay hold on the blood of Jesus for a refuge. To lay hold on the grace of God. But if they don't think they're really all that bad and don't 
get what all the big hype's about, uh, about sin and everything. People need to know. Now, the Holy, Holy Spirit has to do it. You understand that? You, the Holy Spirit has to do it through my preaching, through your preaching, through your sharing the gospel with a cousin, a neighbor, whoever. The Holy Spirit has to do it. But people have to be made aware of the enormity of their sin. It's not just a little thing. John Wesley, it's historians, you know, write and record that he would accustom to preaching, you know, traveling from place to place by horseback or whatever and preaching in towns and cities and farmlands and hillsides and people gathering together. And he would preach on many occasions three hours, three hours and people were just sitting there and he'd preach on the holiness of God and the judgment of God to come and his wrath against sinners. And by the time he got to the end of that message, they were crying out for mercy. How is that? The Holy Ghost had to do that. But you understand, they sat there and listened to uh, how we're gross sinners and we're, we're hell bound and hell bent without the Lord and without his mercy. And they, they're hanging off the edge of a cliff, basically. And he tells them that God sent a redeemer. His name's Jesus. Not everywhere. Some people, they, they threw eggs at him and totally rejected him and stoned him and chased him out of town. But it's, it's reported, I know of listening to Paris Reedhead's sermon, where he would, the people were laid out. They were literally laid out. Hundreds of people under the conviction of sin. Just laid out. And then he could bring Christ to them. Now, everybody, everybody's not a John Wesley. And that's not a model, so to speak, to follow. The point is that people have to be made aware of their sin. And e Elijah is such a good, John the Baptist was the same way. You know, he said, what does King Herod have to do with anything with Christianity? You know, why don't, why don't John the Baptist just not say anything about him? You know what I mean? But he says he preached against the man's sin. There's times we have to preach against sin. There's times we have to, sinners need to know their sin. They're not going to be thankful for the grace of God. They need to know their sin or not, they're not going to be thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus dying for their sins in their place. So there has to be. And I think it is, is missing uh, greatly. I pray it wouldn't be missing in, in my life or my ministry but we see it. It's a, it's a, there's, a need, there's a need for a deeper conviction of sin. I would say in the church as well. A need for a deeper conviction of sin. Then we'll be crying out for holiness and God make me holy and God forgive me. F.B. Meyer says the crying need of our times is a deeper conviction of sin that men may see by the Holy Spirit the exceeding sinfulness of sin. That's how the Bible puts it. I'm going to close with this thought tonight. Just uh, Elijah, again, he, it strikes me over and over his boldness, and it comes simply from knowing the Lord. If you stand in the presence of God and see the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God, then you're not going to fear a man who's just a man. Might be sinful, might be wicked, might have worldly power. But you're not going to fear that man. You're not going to fear an army. You're not going to fear death. Paul says to live is Christ, to die is gain. 
I'm going to close with this scripture from Psalm 27.3. David said, Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. He's trusting in the Lord. Amen? He's trusting in the Lord. So we see uh, Elijah walking straight into, to confront the king. He doesn't soften the message. He gives the same, this, this is what God has said. I'm saying it word for word. I'm not changing it. And the thing was fulfilled. You're going to die. You're not going to get down off your sickbed. And it says, and so Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord. And so we just see that he walks back out. No armies taken. No soldiers arrest him. He delivers the message. He walks out. When we're in the will of God, we're invincible. Okay? If he's ready for us to die, then we'll die. Stephen was invincible until God was ready to call him home. When the stones hit him, he fell asleep, and he saw the Lord standing at the right hand of, of God to receive him. David says this, By thee I have leaped, I have run through a troop. By my God have I leaped over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. He is a buckler to all them that trust in him. Hallelujah. And D, you can come. I'm just going to close with that. I'm encouraged by this, y'all. It's a good message to have, especially when we're going out to witness tomorrow night. Remember, just in a few moments after our altar time, we're going to meet in that Sunday school room to go over the details. But uh, y'all, the altar's open. Let's just come before the Lord and thank the Lord. There's a couple of thoughts this morning. The, the, the faith to trust God and to confront whoever he would call us to confront, to trust the Lord, and also the meekness of Elijah to allow the Lord to defend him, the Lord to vindicate him, which he did. And then also the, um, the thought of preaching against sin like Elijah. That's the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is holy. He will reprove the world of sin and righteousness and of judgment. He does it, but he does it through the preaching of the word through the conviction of the word of God. And we need to be faithful to preach his word and not be afraid of that because on the heels of that, when God's convicting and dealing with a person about sin and their eyes start to open about to their sinfulness of their own lives against the holy God, then God will extend mercy to them through Christ. Amen. They can be saved. The altars are open. Father, we come before you tonight. God, I pray you give us boldness like Elijah. That spirit, as your word talks about, the spirit of Elijah, Lord, it's the Holy Spirit. But God, it was so perfectly displayed through this man's life and his faith and in his boldness and his unwavering uh, obedience to you, whatever you called him to do, Lord, he did it. And he wasn't afraid. And you say the same thing to us, be not afraid. In Matthew 10, don't, don't fear him who can destroy the body, but not the, not the soul. But fear him who can, who can destroy both body and soul in hell. God, help us to fear you and fear, you, fear no other God. Help us to walk in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Give us a right, holy zeal to preach against sin, God. That men can, may come under conviction of sin and cry out like the Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? God, I pray you use us tomorrow night, tomorrow evening as we go out, Lord. Those that can come, Lord, give us prepared, ordained meetings with specific people that you created in your image and died on Calvary to redeem. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. pray that you would help us not to fear what men can do unto us, Lord. Help us to keep our eyes upon you, Jesus, and like Elijah, to, to stand in your presence, to stand in the presence of Almighty God, and know your strength and know your power and know your faithfulness to us, God. You've chosen us to be your servants, God, and you're faithful to those, God, that you've, they've called. Help us to represent you rightly. Help us to be ambassadors for Christ. Help us to hold forth the word of faith among a crooked and perverse nation to shine his lights, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.